Welcome to episode 262 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Debbie, Amelia, Sarah, and Penn. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Debbie, Amelia, Sarah, and Penn, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is co-host Karen. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Spencer. I asked you to bring a reading. It looks like you brought a couple. Yes, I did. And the first one I chose is on detachment. It is from Courage to Change, and it is July 5th. I think the word detachment is often misunderstood. For me, detachment is the freedom to own what is mine and to allow others to own what is theirs. This freedom allows me to keep my own identity and still love, care about, and identify with the feelings of others. In fact, I believe that the degree of our humanity can be measured by our ability to know another person's pain and joy. I have been practicing the principles of Al-Anon to the best of my abilities for a long time. But when someone in the fellowship shares about having a difficult time, I can go right back to day one. I no longer live with that type of emotional pain, but I can feel theirs. I can identify without needing to remove their pain. To me, that is an Al-Anon success story. Today, I don't have to like everything my alcoholic loved one says or does, and I don't have to change her even when I think she's wrong. I continue to learn how to care without taking everything personally. Today's reminder, I can detach and still love, still feel. I can learn to take care of my own business while allowing others to tend to theirs. Today, I can detach without losing compassion. Love your neighbor, yet pull not down your hedge. George Herbert. (laughs) I think that's uh, an older way of saying good fences make good neighbors. Yes. The boundaries. <laughs> yes. Good boundaries make good relationships or something. Yes. And allow for detachment. Yes. No kidding. And I was just going to share that detachment was probably the single hardest idea for me to learn in this program. It was really hard for me to learn how to detach. I grew up in a family and enmeshment was the way we lived. We were enmeshed. There were no boundaries and everyone's problem was our own problem. I didn't know how to detach. And through this program, I learned how to detach with love eventually. Yep. I know the first time I heard that detach with love expression, I was like, just didn't have any clue what that meant. I'm just... That was actually before I'd come to Al-Anon and I heard it from my uncle who's in the other program, as we say sometimes. 
And he said, well, I think in Al-Anon they say you should detach with love. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? But yeah, but it, 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 was a, it was a thing that was really important for me to learn too. I feel like I detached in three stages. The first was detaching with absolute hatred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I learned how to just detach. And finally, eventually, after years of practice, I learned how to detach with love. And you brought another reading about forgiveness. I did. It was Encouraged to Change from March 15th. And this one was was read to me on a t- at a time where I just really needed to hear it. So uh, this reading on forgiveness was presented to me just when I needed to hear it. March 15th from Courage to Change. Before Al-Anon, forgiveness meant power to me. I could judge the offender, the person who wasn't doing what I wanted, and then exercise my power by showing that I could rise above the offense and magnanimously bestow forgiveness. (laughs) But I would never forget what had been done. Today I know that forgiveness has nothing to do with power. It does not give me control. Forgiveness is simply a reminder that I am on equal footing with every other child of God. We all do good and noble things at times. On other occasions, we may offend. I have no right to judge, punish, or absolve anyone. When I behave self-righteously, I am the one who suffers. I separate myself from my fellow human beings, focus on others, and keep busy with hateful and negative thoughts. By taking this attitude, I tell myself that I am a victim, so I remain a victim. The most forgiving thing I can do is to remember that my job is not to judge others, but to think and behave in a way that lets me feel good. Today's reminder, I don't know the motives or circumstances that cause another's behavior. I do know that when I hold on to resentment and blame, I occupy my spirit with bitterness. Today, I will find a more nurturing way to fill myself up. You can't hold a man down without staying down with him. Booker T. Washington. Maybe not a coincidence, our sermon today at church was about forgiveness. And I don't know if our minister is in recovery, but I heard a lot of recovery sort of language in there. Like I said, probably not a coincidence. Wow. It's such a gift. You know, I know this time of year in certain religions is a time of, of atonement and to forgive. Yeah, my daughter actually converted to Judaism and so... I know they were celebrating Yom Kippur. Yes. Mm. Yesterday. The leader of um, my home group on Saturday spoke about that. And it was so moving. And she broke up the word forgiveness into thank you for giving me this lesson. Hmm. And I thought, it's a gift, you know, because when I entered the rooms, I wasn't interested in forgiving anyone else. I was such the victim, you know, Mm -hmm. such the victim. Mm -hmm. And to have, to learn that, you know, I needed to forgive myself as well as others. No kidding. Huge. I want to back up to the beginning here, now that we've had your readings, because I've asked you to to come uh, today and share your story. So maybe you could give us a little bit of background and start your story wherever you think it starts. Thanks, Spencer. 
I definitely start my story with my family of origin. I was raised by an adult child of an alcoholic. So I did not grow up with any active drinking in my home. But as we know, this is a generational disease and it is a family disease. So I was raised primarily by my mother who had suffered the effects of her father's drinking and her mother's isms you know, mm-hmm. um, from living with an active alcoholic for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so the two, my grandmother and my mother raised me and it was really a sick environment. And I, I, I definitely love them very much. And I know they did the absolute best that they could. And I had a wonderful, wonderful life, but they did not have the tools that we have in recovery. And it was, it was just very intense. A lot of the feelings and the emotions were high and, and there was no such thing as a little deal. Everything was the end of the world. And I grew up with a lot of love, but a lot of anxiety. Just, I was on edge my whole childhood and nervous, uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop just because of their experience with an unpredictable person who actually had died six years before I was born. Hmm. But in all of that, I had an aunt who was in recovery in the other program. And I just thought the world of her and she's actually my godmother. And there was a time where she lived with my grandmother and my mother and myself in this home. And I was a very young child and I just thought she was so wonderful. And I had a friend over and I said to my friend, my aunt is an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Because to me, that word meant what Aunt Sally is. You know, it's everything wonderful and beautiful and kind and fun and loving about her. And so I used that word and she went and she shared that story with her friends because I thought that that was really just a, a positive compliment, the word. When I was 11, she took me to my first Alateen meeting. I was really grateful for that exposure. I enjoyed some of the slogans and then bid adieu, and that was it for me. Hmm. Did you go to more than one meeting? I think I went to a few. I think I went to a few 11 to 13, you know, those Hmm. rough years. Hmm. I liked the slogans, and they kind of stuck with me, but I didn't really see my need for Al-Anon at that time. It wasn't until I started to date my husband, at, I was 24, where I was concerned about his drinking. And so I went to Al-Anon to see if he was an alcoholic. And I went to this meeting and after listening to these women complain, and I realized now that it was a unhealthy meeting, I decided that he wasn't that bad. And I did not return to uh, the rooms until I was propelled five years later, just propelled into the rooms. And I had a 13-week-old child. And 
I never stopped coming back. I was 29 and we were in a, a crisis in our marriage as a result of his drinking. And I found everything I needed in Al-Anon and it saved me. It saved my life. It gave me a life that I didn't realize I had no life. And I'm just so grateful for that. Say a little bit about not having a life. I think I identify with that, but I, you know, I don't know if what you mean by it is sort of the same thing that I meant by it. Well, I had a hobby. I like to do yoga and exercise, but my thoughts were so distorted. I was consumed with my husband's behavior and how much alcohol he had consumed and how often he was criticizing me. And I just had a tunnel vision. I didn't really see anything other than what was in front of me during the day, my husband and his behavior and my mother and her behavior. And I spent years just trying to alter those two things. I wasn't focused on myself and what I needed. I was just outwardly focused completely for for so many years. So what, what happened at that meeting? Was it, was it that you had changed? Was the meeting different? Is it some combination? What do you think? I think that I had been on my knees. You know, I, I've heard in the rooms that step zero is really this shit has to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I had quit my job, uh, my career, given it up to be a stay-at-home mother, you know, 13 weeks prior. So I, I stopped working. I was in this house with someone who was just drinking and drinking and drinking. And I had a brand new baby. And I thought, I don't know what to do. You know, my husband uh, went out one night and he was a, he's an in-home drinker. He drinks in the basement. He watches football and drinks in the basement. And that's what he does. I know where he is. It's what he does. And I stay away. But um, <laughs> after the birth of our son, he had been going out more and more. And one day he just didn't come back, which wasn't like my introvert. And I thought, this is really crazy. This is unusual. And so I, I did with the thing I did, I actually, we had phone books back then, like the <laughs> physical phone book. And I looked in the phone book and I called the hospitals. And I called the jails and I called the people he was out with and I called anyone who would know and no answer came. And it was opening day of, of baseball. And our little boy was 13 weeks old. And I got a call at 11 o'clock at night he was drunk out of his mind and he was at a jail and I never knew anyone that had ever been to a jail. And I, I, I thought, Oh my gosh, what do I do? And he didn't know where he was. He says, I said, where are you? And I don't know where I am. And I said, okay. And I hung up and then I called back and then I asked to speak with him. And they said, lady, you don't know what you did. You're calling the jail. You can't speak to him. He'll get out at, a certain time in the morning. So I put 
all of the diapers and the clothes that my little boy would need for the next few days. And I put them in trash bags and I put them in my car and I just drove the three hours to my mother and her husband's house in the middle of the night. And I did call her. I didn't want to wake her up and let her know we were coming because I knew she would worry. I just figured I'd show up and that would be three hours less worrying she would spend. Mm. Then my phone started ringing on the drive up. I was halfway there in Baltimore and I picked up the phone because it had never occurred to me that I could not pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. Those simple things I, I didn't know yet. So I picked up the phone and he was just screaming and screaming and screaming at me. Where was I? How could I take, um, we had one car in the shop and the other car was his car. How could I take his car <laughs> and leave him without a car? Cause he has an important meeting in the morning <laughs> and he was very upset about this and how, you know, so then he called my mother and woke her up and my mother said, you know, you live in a major city, just take a cab to your, to your meeting. And I, she has a little I, bit of smarts there, huh? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So she did that. And I, and I drove up to her house with my garbage bags and my infant and, you know, I was a mess, a mess. So I went to Allen on the next morning in, in her, my hometown. I started going and I, I just knew this is where you go for help. I went and, it, and I do not know what people said. Yeah. I do not know where it was. I'm always so impressed by the newcomers or, or people that have been the program and say, when I came in, the first meeting was on tradition four. And this is, I, I like, uh, not me. <laughs> really? Okay. Not me. not me either. I didn't know which way was up. And I was one of those people that would just talked, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I always say that you can tell the healthier the person because they talk about him as like their spouse instead of him or HP, you know? Mm. And so I, I was just, you know, so sick and so insane. And those beautiful people um, listened to me and helped me and suggested I go to an open AA meeting mm. and listen. So I threw myself into recovery and my mother said to me, a few, you know, a few days later, she said, you can't stay with us with this baby. You have to go back. And I thought, I have to go back. I have to go back. So I went back with the baby. But I had this gift of our program. And I brought that baby to meetings. I nursed that baby in meetings. I, you know, I was there. I was present. And this was the only thing I've ever stuck with so solidly. It was my thing. And I had to hide them from my husband because it, it makes him very upset. Even to this day, when he, when I leave the house and I go to a meeting, it's really a thing that he's not happy about. But I, I realize now it's not about what he's feeling. It's about me. And this is me getting out of my quicksand and out of my insanity which is so easy for me to slip right back to if I don't work my program and go to these meetings and listen to to our fellowship, share their experience, strength, and hope. I'm so grateful. I'm I'm going to assume that he is not in recovery then? He is not in recovery. Wow. I, I'm impressed. 
I mean, I, I lived with my wife not in recovery for three and a half years, and Al-Anon was the only thing that made it possible, but it sure as heck was not easy. It's so challenging, Spencer. It it really is. We're eight and a half years into my recovery. I've learned so much about this disease, more so than the, the drinking, the alcohol. To me, the distorted thinking that he shows is, is the hardest part of living in this environment. And just the criticism, the 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 nastiness, the mean-spiritedness, and the anger, this this rage that he displays is is the hardest part for me. You know, like I said, I didn't grow up with the disease of active drinking. The people I grew up with were, were full of love and kindness. Now living with someone that's super critical, that's been the hardest for my yeah. spirit. You know, I have two little boys. Now they're almost nine and six. And I think my being in recovery is going to break this cycle and break this chain. I pray that it does because they have one parent that is seeking health and that has affected them. Yeah, I know. I was speaking with another member on the podcast recently and, and she was talking about how her little her son is already exhibiting recovery language recovery behavior do you see that in your kids yes i do we were running late for a birthday party this morning and i wanted to be on time for our chat and keep things running and so we were running late and i said oh we're late and my little one in the back piped up and he said it's not the end of the world mom it's not the end of the world. We'll be there for the cake. The, you know, the birthday boy knows we're happy and we're going to celebrate with him. And that was huge. And, I, and I'm so proud of him and both of them, actually, because Easy Does It is a slogan that they'll say. And it's not the end of the world is another thing that they'll say. We have special conversations because of my recovery. My husband was leaving for a trip and the boys were looking at his phone and the Uber car was driving on the phone and they could see where the Uber car was turning. And he made it a wrong turn. And my husband said, oh, that's such an idiot driver. And so then we wished, we said, bye, daddy, have a good trip. And then we talked about it. And, you know, my nine-year-old said, you know, there could have been a toddler that ran in front of his car on the street and he had to turn the other way to avoid the toddler. We have no idea why this guy made the turn. And I said, you know, you're right. We don't. I said, but what does criticizing him and calling him an idiot do? The boy said, it just makes daddy feel angry. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. And so I feel like they're examining the negative behaviors and really trying to understand you know, you're grouchy because you're hungry or you're grouchy because you're tired. And we don't talk about drinking quite yet. Mm -hmm. There there are things that we'll see on the news, like um, a person was high and, you know, naked on top of a truck. And it was, I was on the news and they said, look at that. And I said, yeah, you know, sometimes when people drink alcohol or take drugs, it makes their brain think differently and they, they're not realizing how crazy it is. And, you know, they said, oh, I don't want to, 
I don't want to do that. And I feel like saying, can we sign that and have it notarized? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> can we, uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, as, as we know, I don't want to do that doesn't always translate into I won't do that. Exactly. Exactly. And to see them so aware, you know, in, in our yeah. American culture, you know, they yeah. love to watch football and every other commercial is a Budweiser commercial. And Isn't it though? Isn't it? You know, all I can control is my behavior and that's hard enough for me to control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are some of the tools that, that you use that you have used to, you know, keep yourself sane and serene? You know, the Al-Anon pause has been life-changing for me. I, I never paused before the program. I just would react. I would react and then I would think. And it, I learned how to take a moment and take a breath and then act. And that, that's been huge for me. Just like I said, I didn't know that I could not answer a telephone. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that I could walk away when someone was yelling at me. And now I can take a deep breath and examine my choices you know, I, I pray all the time. I remember when the boys were little and were having a temper tantrum and I just, I could feel like a visceral reaction in my body. Every muscle was tense and I was stressed out. I would get down on my knees, stop and pray in front of them. I would say, God, please help me right now. I feel frustrated and angry and I don't know what to do. And they would be so shocked to see their mother on the floor. Hmm. It would change their behavior and it would, it would interrupt the, the tantrum. So that pause has been huge. My prayer has been amazing. And then the gift of perspective has, has just changed my life and just realizing that. I need to zoom out. And I think a lot of us do. We just need to to back away from the situation to see how important is it and realize that most of the stuff is little stuff. But because we're affected by the disease, we can't control the big stuff. We just try to crazily control the little stuff. Mm, That is so important. That there are these huge things that we have no control over, and so we try to grab at whatever we think we might be able to control. Yeah, I, I feel that one. <laughs> I still feel that one. It's not so much with with my wife anymore. It's like with my adult kids, who yeah. are making choices that sometimes I don't understand. I'm like. Why are you doing that? That is not a good thing. No, don't do that. But I can't say that. Right? I can't change that. They're they're not six and nine, and even at six and nine, sometimes you couldn't change it. Right? Right. But what a gift you ha- you're giving them to allow them the autonomy and the dignity to to make choices. I think the hardest part of parenting is watching our children make choices that we disapprove of. Yeah. You know, and I have to remember that they have their own higher power, that everyone else has their higher power. And I realize so much of, of how I acted in my marriage was taking away his dignity of being a person. I, I pray for him, but 
part of the forgiveness is allowing myself the space to not be a part of the the crazy and the the anger and just to take care of myself. So I'm going to guess that there are times when it it seems really hard when it's really low. What do you do? You know, Spencer, I I think I've given him two last final end of the road chances. <laughs> One was in 2010. There was an ultimatum. You go into AA or this is over. He didn't go into AA and it wasn't over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt so helpless. But then we buy into their bullshit, you know, and listen to the excuses and the reasons why he can't go to AA, you know, and he said to me, I will stop drinking. But I said, well, give me 30 days of not drinking alcohol. This was right in right, right, my beginning of my recovery. And he said, oh, well, I have my best friend's wedding in 18 days. I can only do it for 18 days. And then I'm going to the wedding. And that's what happened. And then four or five years later, the the anger and the hostility got so bad. I said, I cannot raise my children in this home and allow them to see you treat me like this. So we were separated in the home for eight months, which I do not recommend because that is too hard to be in the home with the person. And eventually we're, we're very cyclical in the relationship. You know, he, he behaved and then I forgave him and we were on a good wave and it was Prince Charming for a while. And then, you know, the disease came back. Now I'm praying for God to give me signs and prepare me. I'm back at work full time, mm-hmm. which is huge. And the children are a little bit older. Yeah. I know I can, I will not live the rest of my life like this because it, for me in my personal life, I, it's not what I want to choose to do with my time. And especially being in recovery, it's too difficult to be with someone who is not for me right now. But one day at a time, can lead to years and years. So that's where I I struggle and where I pray. And I I just listen for guidance and other people to share experience because, you know, I retained a divorce attorney. You know, I I just didn't get that far. But I'm so impressed by people who come in and just know themselves so well, know where they stand and, and go forward. I... I'm having trouble getting off the merry-go-round as we have that pamphlet. Do you know the pamphlet? How to- yeah. What's the, what's the title? It's a merry-go-round. Of denial. Okay. Oh my goodness. I love that pamphlet. I, I had four of them and I would highlight them and underline them. And then of course, give it to everyone else that needs to know about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as we do. Yeah. As we do. I just went right to the 12th step and started promoting my program to the sick people in my life. And now I'm taking care of myself and I'm working hard to get off the merry-go-round. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, the boys are have their eyes open and they know daddy is grouchy and grumpy. You know, I try not to comment about his behavior to them 
except to validate their feelings and tell them that it's okay to have their feelings. But this is really hard. And I, I don't think this will be forever. I feel like it will be sooner rather than later, but I don't want to circle the date on the calendar anymore because mm-hmm. that hasn't worked for me. Mm-hmm. Do you get, I, you know, I get this thing sometimes in meetings when they're like, wow, you're still with your alcoholic. And not so much now that she's been sober for um, ooh, 13 years, but they're like, how do you do it? How are you still, why, you know, why haven't you left? <laughs> do you get those questions? I do. You know, a lot of it is very practical. You know, where would we live and how would I pay for it? Mm-hmm. A fear though, I think more than the finances is the fear and I need to replace it with the courage and also the excitement for the good things that lay ahead. I think the way alcoholism has affected me has really been a challenge for me to be the confident person that I think of myself as. You know, I, I remember talking to to a good friend in the program who's a double winner. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the double winners too because I feel they're a little bit more harsh than the straight up Al-Anons. I think we're just more gentle and compassionate and they're just like, they don't play. You know, I think if, if you're in that other program recovering, like it's, it's a hard life or death situation and they're rough. And so, um, my friend said to me, you know, he is sick. So every time you want to go try to have a nice normal conversation with him, I want you to go over, walk to the wall and have a nice conversation with the wall. Because right now (laughs) that is like what you're doing, Karen. And I thought, Oh my gosh, he's right. He's absolutely right. And I am just kind of, you know, oh, compassion and huggy and soft, but just to hear the other side of the coin and to be reminded about what a tough disease it is. And he's choosing not to get sober. His life is such right now that he is okay living it. He's hasn't hit his bottom. And my opinion is, is that he's not going to hit his bottom while I'm in the house making it so comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, people, people do say, you know, how are you still with him? And isn't it hard? And it is, it's very hard. I don't know, like I said, how much longer I will be with him because it's, it's too difficult. But right now I have a gratitude list about all the good qualities and the good things he does and has and possesses. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I get that. For me, there were the the sort of negative reasons for not leaving, like you say, the house, the kids, in our case, the bank account, the things that, that entangle us with our loved one. But there's also the positive reasons for staying. Yeah. I mean, in my case, my wife is a wonderful person. She was really sick. And I hated that. But she is a wonderful person when she, you know, wasn't drinking. And I guess I could still see that. <laughs> so keeping a gratitude list, I mean, that is, that's a great tool, really. It is. It is. Because it's so easy to go into the negative space. But our program reminds us that it's all about 
our perspective and that's what makes all the difference. So when I focus on the positive and the fact that he travels 40% of the time, <laughs> I am able to, you know, be grateful and for a lot. Do you, again, I'm, I'm reflecting on my own experience. Are you, do you have fears when he travels that, you know, he's going to drink and get in an accident or something? I mean, I know I had that. You know, I prayed a lot for God to take him and take over for him, but more relief when he's not with me that I'm not having any impact on his behavior. You know, when he got in trouble here that night, I, I was so grateful that I wasn't near him, that I had nothing to do with me, that it wasn't my fault because I had so much guilt and thought that everything bad in his life was my fault. I, I don't have fears for him. I do believe he has his higher power and I know it's not me. So I, I trust that he'll be taken care of and he has his own life to live. Well. <laughs> You're, you're much further along than I ever was on that. I was sure, you know, she was driving on the highways around Dallas and Fort Worth without me there. And I was sure something horrible was going to happen. Never did. In fact, the one time she got in an accident on the highway was after she was sober. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's sort of my higher power. And, and she was fine. Okay, good. I remembered what I was going to say about my double winner friend. He... He told me, he said, Karen, you have low self-esteem. And I looked at him and I said, I do not have low self-esteem. And I gave like the laundry list of the reasons and my accomplishments of why I don't have low self-esteem. And he goes, yes, you do. He said, you're allowing this behavior. That was eye-opening to me. And that's what I mean when I say that the Al-Anons are so gentle. I don't think anyone in the rooms would have told me I had low self-esteem. <laughs> but he, you know, he he did. And he, and he was right. And so it was a result of this program and my hard work that, that my self-esteem got better and that I started to get my groove again and and really get back to me and find out what I love and what I need. Yeah. I have a number of friends who, as you say, as we say, are double winners and they seem to be a little pithier. I think maybe, maybe we're saying the same thing. I remember one guy who, you know, we talk about the Al-Anon mirror, you know, seeing ourselves in other people. And he said, if you spot it, you got it. Right, <laughs> and and what he meant was the things that really piss me off about other people's behavior are probably my own character defects. Absolutely, it's true. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, you said the first meeting that you went to where it stuck, they suggested going to an open AA meeting. Did you? I did go to an open AA meeting. And now I cringe about my behavior in that open AA meeting because <laughs> I have learned that I am supposed to shut my mouth because that is not my particular disease and just listen. But I went in there and I told them <laughs> all about my husband and his disease and how it was so awful and ruining my life and how, how selfish he is and how awful and terrible it was. 
you know, I don't know if the people in those rooms were new to recovery or didn't know better, but afterwards the one guy said, wow, he said, you really make me feel like I want to go home and give my wife a hug because of all I've put her through. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, give her a hug, you know, and I, I didn't know anything, but I also had a lot of like resentment and anger when I was at that meeting. I looked around and I thought to myself, I feel like I am a homeless person going to an open house of like the fanciest mansion in the world. Like here I am in my world where my alcoholic is super sick and not recovering. And I'm going into this room with all these people that are choosing to get better and choosing to Hmm. be healthy. This is unjust. This isn't fair. And then I went back to my martyr role. Hmm. I guess the the open AA meetings that I've been to are typically a speaker meeting. So there's not a conversational aspect to it. That is one person telling their story, basically. And for me, they gave me hope. Oh, wow. Because here was somebody who, in some cases, was real low bottom, went way down. Yes. And now is sober. And I, I would look at that person and say, well, if... If he can do it, if she can do it, then maybe my loved one can do it. Eventually, that's that's where I came to, that realization and that understanding. But in the beginning, no, I, I was not there at all. Now, I, I like to go and listen and and listen to the hope and the and share, people share their experiences. And I have um, some family members that are in that program and their lives are just absolute miracles, miracles, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so wonderful to see people change their lives and really this is a gift, absolute gift. It is. What would you say, what do you say to a newcomer in a meeting? You know, and obviously it depends on like what they might've said, but Mm -hmm. what is the message that you're carrying to, to a newcomer? I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. Keep coming back. I, I don't remember if the newcomer's welcome was read to me my first day, but it's a wonderful welcome. And, you know, those of us have lived through your difficulty and there are those among us who have, I forget the exact wording, but it's really, Wonderful for people to know they're not alone. I mean, I lived in an environment where you don't talk about what's going on in your home. I'm a mom in the 21st century and it's very competitive and people are trying to one up each other and to have the shame Mm -hmm. of living with someone who is an alcoholic it, it was just too much for me. I, I didn't have the genuine friendships to be able to, to confide in someone. This is where I'm, this is what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Al-Anon, I met women who looked like me, who looked put together, who were just absolutely the, you know, successful men and women who are just not the bottom of the barrel type people, just, 
people that you would never expect to be in recovery in recovery and to, to realize that, oh my goodness, my friend that went to an Ivy League school, her husband screamed at her too. He's called her these names too. You know, it's not just me that yeah. is experiencing yeah. this pain. And that is such a gift to, to realize that there's other people going through it, that it's not just you and you're not a bad person because of your experiences. I do really believe that we attract the same level of dysfunction that we are at at that time. So I think that I wasn't healthy when I paired up with my husband Mm. because I would never have tolerated that behavior or appreciated his points of view. You know, and I remember also being scared of someone who had an alcohol issue because I had seen what it had done to my extended family members. Mm. And I asked him on one of our first dates, I said, have you ever gotten in trouble because of alcohol? And he said, yes. And that used to be my no further, my non-negotiable, this is it, I don't want to see you again. But I loved this person already. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought I loved him and thought he was so (sighs) smart and I kept going, you know, and I, and I allowed it and then allowed more and more and more until, like I said, I, I couldn't take it anymore. And I knew something had to stop and something had to change. The only thing that I could change was myself. And that's where I began. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I also asked you to uh, to pick some songs. Want to talk about the first one? Yes, I picked Indina Menzel's "Let It Go" from Frozen. I don't know if you know that movie. Uh, you know, I haven't actually seen the movie. My my kids were older than that the time it came out, but I I definitely have heard the song. <laughs> It's the first Disney movie where the princess saves herself and nobody comes to her rescue except for her. And I just thought it was so wonderful. And one of the lyrics is, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. Nice. Yeah. And you talked about having that perspective. Yeah. I think that it's it's so important to zoom out. It's like when you stand super close to a Monet painting, you can't see the beauty or even what the scene is until you back up and you back up and you say, oh my goodness, it's this beautiful painting. And that's what Al-Anon helped me do because I couldn't see outside of my four walls and my little bubble. I had no idea that it was a bigger world. And Elanon gave me that. So let it go, let it go. I, it's just, <laughs> I, th- I feel like that's our Elanon anthem. And sometimes yeah. I sing it in my head, you know, when, when people keep talking about different qualifiers and thinking, let it go. Yeah. I mean, you know, because it's, it's important. One of the lines is, I'm never going back. The past is in the past. And I talked to my sponsor about that, you know, looking at the past or living in the past. And she said, you know, Karen, it's like driving a car. 
you've got to glance in the rear view mirror every once in a while, see what's going on, check the side view mirrors, see where you are, but you can't stare in it or you will crash. Brilliant. I love that analogy. I loved it because it's, it's true. You know, that, that's what the past was, but I'm going forward now. That's great. I'll have to remember that yeah. one. Use it. Use it. I'm one of my sponsees at some point, I'm sure. Ha ha. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what that's how we keep going forward in this great program. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our lives and in our meetings this week. How are we living recovery? And uh, you you had a story you wanted to tell me. Well, I was just thinking that I have these serenity cubes that each side of a cube has a different slogan on it. And I love when I roll it and it goes to keep it simple and easy does it. And those two for me are huge during the workday at Mm. work. I really feel triggered a lot and dealing with different personalities and the pressures. I just keep thinking easy does it. What's the next right thing I need to do? So having the slogans handy on little uh, post-its or on cubes anywhere just to have a glance at it i i really think that has helped me one of my good friends suggested that i change my work passwords to a slogan hmm. i thought that was so brilliant because i i must type in my passcodes 15 times a day and that subliminal message of typing in a slogan has been great that is brilliant i might have to think about that i've but then I'd have to remember a whole new set of passwords. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they might be easy to remember because they're slogans, but wow. And I have not seen these cubes. Where did you find them? My mother got them for me. So probably on Amazon, but I can uh, look around. Yeah, if you can send me a link, I can put the link in the in the show notes. And oh, that would be great. Yeah. Which the show notes, by the way, are at therecovery.show slash 262, just in case I haven't said that yet in this episode. Oh, man, I was thinking about my week. And and when you're talking about work, I mean, one of the places where I use my program a whole lot is at work because I'm interacting with people all day. And me and people, that's where my character defects show up, right? But what happened, What I I actually talked about this in a meeting yesterday. I, I came in and we had a newcomer. And so... Uh, we did a first step and somebody who spoke before me around the table was talking about using the program with adult children who may or may not be alcoholics or addicts, but still using the program tools with, with the adult children who of course living their own lives, not the way that, you know, she thought they should be link- living them. Right. Right. And I remembered something that had happened earlier that week where my wife texted something to a group chat that included both our children. And one of them responded with some political views that frankly, I don't agree with that. I, that I don't like, I I don't even like to read them because I just get angry uh, and I, I don't want to be angry, you know, but I can't, I can't help imagine myself. an angry Spencer, but okay. <laughs> you know, 
uh, I tell you what, before Al-Anon, you would have had no trouble imagining an angry Spencer because I was the rage guy. Um, but, you know, Al-Anon did that for me. That was one of the first gifts besides a little bit of I'm not alone and maybe a little bit of serenity. That was the first real gift I got from the program was not being angry all the time. But anyway, and my phone's kind of blowing up with these texts and it's just killing my serenity, but I can't not look because it's my phone and it's buzzing, right? And it might be my wife saying, what do you want for dinner kind of thing. And and if I don't answer those, then that's a different kind of problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, what I finally thought to do was I I said, please, I prefer to have this sort of conversation by email because every time a text comes in, it interrupts my flow. Mm. And this kid is also a computer programmer and totally understands this concept of being in the flow. And miracle of miracles, it worked. I mean, maybe it wasn't a miracle. Maybe I said the right thing. I don't know. And I didn't have to say, I don't want to hear what you think. Mm-hmm. I didn't want I didn't have to say I hate what you think. That was in my head, but I knew I couldn't say that because number 1, it's a hurtful thing to say and number 2, it wouldn't help because they would be even more convinced they were right and keep on trying to convince me of their rightness. And it stopped. And I was like I figured out a way to ask nicely wow. for what I wanted. Wow. You know? Like, yeah, <laughs> that was the program at work. That would not have happened. Ah, I see you found a link to Pinterest. Awesome. Thank you. Say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't say it mean. Yep. Yep. You and did that. <laughs> I did that. And I and I actually brought that saying in into my uh, share at the meeting as well. And I had another one uh, Friday. My wife takes a ceramics class on Friday and when she gets home from it is somewhat unpredictable because sometimes she stays for open studio and sometimes she doesn't. So I went out with some friends after work and then I got this text saying, Hey, I'm home. What what are we going to have for supper? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm out with some friends. I'll be home in a little bit. I, you know, I said, I knew you were at ceramics and I never know when you're going to get home. And she's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) That is not, that is not the answer that my fear gave me. Right. But it's the answer that I got. And it's like, I spent so many years being afraid to sort of be honest about stuff because I was afraid that I was going to get a, a, you know, a hostile reaction. And what I have found, what the program has given me this courage really to, you know, say what I mean and don't be mean when I say it. And so often the reaction is not what my fear told me it was going to be. You know what? We do. We live in the wreckage of the future Yeah. in Al-Anon, and I can't even believe that how much time I wasted, exactly what you're saying, and, and you could have gotten an okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was just okay. I, you know, and, and she said, and usually I'm home by 6 or 6.30, so that's, that's good information for me. But I might still ask, hey, are you going to stay for studio tonight? Uh, because being home alone is, eh, whatever. You know, I mean, sometimes I like being home alone, but if I can hang, be hanging out with friends because I would be home alone, that may be preferable. That depending on on what day it is and how I'm feeling, right? Anyway, right. there's a couple of things that happened this week where my recovery worked for me. Awesome, that's great. Upcoming in the next couple of weeks, I think I mentioned this last week. I'm going to be 
at a retreat next weekend. And the following weekend, I'm going to visit my mother, who I learned today is coming home from rehab, hopefully on Wednesday. Wonderful. Yeah. So I, I'll go and, and see her and and give my brother a little bit of relief and from his... I am so grateful to him for, for being there, for, for living with them and, and taking care of what's going on, because... I don't know what we would do. I really don't. Um, so I give give him a little bit of release. He said, he said in the text chain this morning. He said he, he is pretty tired. In any case, I won't be home on the weekends, which is when I normally record the show. And so I've got these uh, talks by Mary Pearl T on the steps, and I figured I'll pull out step two ne- uh, next week and step three the week after, with uh, probably minimal wrapping of my voice, so that. Y'all have something to listen to, and I won't feel like I'm slacking. <laughs> we do welcome your thoughts. If you have thoughts about steps two or three, you can join our conversation, leave a voicemail, send us an email with your feedback or your questions. And Karen, how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734 734- Seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at the recovery dot show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Our website, therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the music we talk about, links to the literature or references to the literature. I always try to put a link to, if we read from, say, Courage to Change, I always put a link to where you can buy Courage to Change from Al-Anon. Can I tell you that I, when I first came to Al-Anon, I was like, what, what is the number one go-to book that I need. And I just said, it's the person to the left of me. So it was her opinion. And she said, courage to change. So I got my courage to change. And I was so proud of my Al-Anon recovery. And I would read it every morning. Mm -hmm. And one day we went on a vacation and I kept the courage to change on the nightstand at the vacation. And would you be shocked to find out that my husband threw it away? (laughs) Just threw the book away. You know, so I, Six years later, July 4th of this year, I bought another edition of Courage to Change. And I thought, <laughs> yep. not so easy, mister. <laughs> no, given what you said about his attitude towards uh, your recovery program, it does not surprise me at all. I also have Courage to Change and how Elanon works in the electronic edition. Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. There's a Kindle edition available and maybe also like Nook or something. I don't know, but... I have the Kindle app on my phone, and so I can I can go in and read that when I'm anywhere. I also have the big book of AA and, and a bunch of other recovery literature. I think so far there's only two or three Al-Anon books that are available in electronic form or, or maybe also in Audible. I'm not sure about Audible. There are links on the website to all of those books. There's a books page that, that has links to a lot of the literature that you can buy uh, from Elnon, from Amazon, if you're getting the electronic edition. You picked another song. Yes. Um, Dave Matthews is one of my favorite artists. 
and uh, the song is called The Best of What's Around. This situation is the same, but it's how we look at it that makes all the difference in the world. We will make the best of what's around, no matter the outcome. And the lyrics are, see you and me, have a better time than most can dream, have it better than the best, so can pull on through, whatever tears at us, whatever holds us down, and if nothing can be done, we'll make the best of what's around. And if you hold on tight to what you think is your thing, you might find you're missing all the rest. So we ask for feedback. We get feedback. Uh, I want to start with a, a voicemail that an anonymous listener left for us. Hi, this is an episode idea or a question maybe you could address in an episode. I'm fairly new to Al-Anon. I've been attending meetings for about two months, and I'm ready for a sponsor. However, I don't know how to go about selecting one. I feel like it's a pretty... I guess, intimate relationships. So I want to choose someone that I feel comfortable with. And I am not a Christian. I would say I'm more Buddhist than anything or spiritual. And I'm wondering how important it is to pick someone who believes in a similar higher power as myself. I feel like they would be able to possibly understand me and guide me better. I don't know if that is actually the case, but if you could possibly address this question, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. And and thank you for that question. Do you have thoughts on that, Karen? I think that the right sponsor will come to you at the right time. I remember I picked my very first sponsor because she was just saying how much she hated her husband and how angry she was at him and how he was so, (laughs) so terrible. She wished he would just go away. And I thought, oh, I can relate to her. That should be my sponsor. (laughs) Well, that lasted a little while, but at the time it was, it was what I needed, you know? And then uh, my second sponsor was just very peaceful and full of sunshine and positivity I think a good thing to do is to ask the sponsor to work one step with you at a time and to say, hi, would you work first step with me? And Mm -hmm. then kind of have like a renewable contract where if it goes well, you can keep going. And if it doesn't, then you thank her for the time and move forward. That also is brilliant. I mean, for me, I don't think I ever asked that question. I know my first sponsor at least practices at some level, a religion that is not mine, but it never really came up for us. I have sponsored people that I have no idea what their religious beliefs are, actually. I'm in this sort of agnostic, maybe sometimes there's a God, sometimes I'm not sure camp, right? Sometimes I know there is. Sometimes I know that I have a God who's guiding me in a good direction. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. You know, I've worked with some some sponsees who are in that similar questioning place or or maybe further towards atheists than I am. And I think that the fact that I was also questioning might have been helpful mm. in that situation. I mean, I always tell people, like, if you're not sure, 
say, hey, could you be a temporary sponsor? Okay. And and it's not a marriage. There, there's no divorce. You can say, yeah, you know, this isn't working. And, and I, too, picked my first sponsor because they were dealing with an alcoholic spouse. And I thought, well, okay, when I need advice about how to deal with my, my, my spouse, this is the person who can give me the answers, which, you know, of course, is bullshit. But it worked yeah. for me at the time. And also because whenever this person spoke in a meeting, I connected with what they were saying. And I think that's another way to identify a potential sponsor. That's a good way to do it. I don't think that uh, religion is necessarily a deal breaker, you know, because our higher power can mean so many different things to someone. I guess if you have a sponsor who really brings their religion with them and, and I don't, I've, I've never been in a situation where that happened, but I could see where it might. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then you say, I'm sorry, this isn't working. Right. We got a letter from another anonymous listener with a question. Spencer, hi, I recently started going to Al-Anon about four weeks ago, and it is really tough for me. I frequently leave the meetings crying and have to run to the bathroom to grab a tissue and collect myself before returning. It is hard for me to face the truth that my husband is an alcoholic drinker. We only got married a year ago this Sunday, and my higher power helped me realize my husband is a problem drinker about two months ago. Anyway, I have a question, and potentially for Eric, too, because he has great insight. A problem I am having is that I have a mental expectation of what our marriage should look like, and when it continually falls short of that, I feel disappointed and hurt. I find myself responding to my spouse out of this continual disappointment, which I'm sure he feels, and it puts a lot of pressure on him and makes him feel worse about himself. I know that by doing this, I am choosing to fixate on an impossible fantasy and thus wasting time. I could be doing things that could be more productive, like focusing on my husband's actual positive traits. Instead of whining and pining about what isn't, I know I could try to live in the present and enjoy my husband and his positive traits for who he is. My question is this, how do I separate my spouse, the person, from my spouse, the alcoholic? Is a part of going through step one accepting the dying fantasy for what truly is in front of me? How in the world do I do that? I've been listening to your podcast for a few weeks, and it is radically transforming the way that I think. Thank you so much for your efforts and for being men of valor in discussing these issues. There are so few men in my meetings, so hearing men discussing these issues is really powerful. You all are doing a great work. Thank you. Sincerely signed, Anonymous. Wow. Wow. Okay, so as I was reading that, I'm like, this echoes some things that you said. Uh, I I think that it is really, really hard in the beginning to find compassion for your spouse who is so sick and so diseased. It's, it's really hard and it is sad to accept the reality that the person that you're married to, whom you love, is really sick right now and that these behaviors that they're displaying are symptoms of their disease. Keep coming back is the first thing that comes to mind. Like Al-Anon will help you recognize what you can do to change so that you can really let go of the picture of what you thought it would be like and learn to find joy in the story that you're actually living. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't sure. I remember saying to someone like, did I marry an asshole who is an alcoholic (laughs) or did, is he an alcoholic because he's an asshole? Like what is going on with this list of character defects that the spouse can clearly pinpoint 
for them. Yes. Yeah. Or, or is, is he being an asshole because he's drinking? Right. Right. Okay. So my experience, well, I mean, one thing for me is we had been married like 18 years, 17 years before I came to Al-Anon. Wow. And the drinking developed slowly. Went from the occasional, like, too much to drink at a party to the the drinking every night to the me recognizing that there was drinking every night and, and wanting it to stop and so on. So I had some experience of, you know, the time when she really was the person that I thought she was. Mm, okay. Before the the drinking took over, right? Having said that, from the time I came into Elanon to the time when I was very clearly able to separate her from her disease in my in my heart was a was a couple of years. It was not an easy thing. It was not a quick thing, um, but it did happen eventually for me. And I think one of the things that that helped me find that compassion that you talked about was hearing alcoholics talk about their experience, going to these open speaker talks and hearing what I came to recognize, what one of my good friends in the program who has about three times as much experience in the program as I do said, it's always the same story. The details are completely different, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that it was the same story arc helped me to understand that it was not her being an asshole. It was her being in the grips of a disease that was affecting her behavior and it was taking her places she didn't want to be. And that's where I was able to get the compassion. And that's where I was able to finally really have that loving detachment to say, this is my wife. I love her. This is my wife with the disease. I hate the way the disease makes her act and to hold those two things in my, in my mind and still feel the love. But that really honestly for me took at least a couple of years to get there. So hang in there, keep coming back. Might be helpful to, to listen to some other alcoholics tell their story. Cause I could hear it a lot more. I could hear, I could hear the pain a lot better from somebody that I wasn't in love with, which seems ironic. Yes. Interesting. Can you read the letter from Sharon? Sure. Hello, Spencer. I really enjoyed the Enabling versus Empowerment podcast. I often become confused when trying to decide whether my behavior is enabling. I know what the obvious enabling behaviors are. Buying booze, giving money, allowing and ignoring unacceptable behavior. The part of empowering is so life-changing for me. I truly believe in the hand up not a handout. When you ask the question, what are healthy ways to be supportive without enabling? This has me spinning my wheels. I'm a grateful Al-Anon member for over a year. August was my one-year anniversary. I grew up in an alcoholic home, married an alcoholic, divorced an alcoholic, raised a son who was in recovery from drug addiction, married another alcoholic. We can't make this up, right? Al-Anon saved my life. This is such a great way to live life, empowering versus enabling. Thank you for all you do, and I really enjoy listening to the podcast. It works if you work it, so let it. One of my favorites. Absolutely. Thank you, Sharon, for that. There's a 
a person who's in in some of my meetings who who says that at the end. We we have this little chant, you know, it works if you work it and you're worth it. And she always adds, "So let it." Woo. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love so it. So exciting, I, you know. I love it too. I do. I feel like we have two choices. We can either recover or we can repeat. Yeah. And I grasp so hard at recovering and my recovery because it's it's the way forward. It's the way I want to live. It's how I can be my best self. Thank you. And a little announcement here. The music that we use that I've used at the beginning and the end of the show for, for years is called Teleportationism. It's by an artist named Nostalgic Afterlife, who has recently changed his name and asked me to uh, to say something about it because he wants people to keep coming and finding his music. And I'm really grateful for, for the continuing permission to use it. There's a link to the Bandcamp site in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 262 if you'd like to download it or to check out his other music. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Debbie, Amelia, Sarah, and Penn did. And thank you again for your support. And you got one more song here. Yes, I absolutely love Madonna, your Michigan <laughs> friend. <laughs> <laughs> She has a song on the last album as actually called Rebel Heart. And she says, I took the road less traveled and I barely made it out alive. Through the darkness, somehow I survived. Tough love. I knew it from the start. Deep down in my rebel heart. Outgrown my past and I've shed my skin. Letting it go and I'll start again, start again. Never look back. It's a waste of time. And I said, oh, yeah, this is me, and I'm right where I want to be. And I, I do feel like we shed our skin. I am not nearly as sick as I was eight and a half years ago mm-hmm. when I came into these programs. And I just, I know that we can start again. Every day is the first day of the rest of our lives. And every minute we can change our behavior and make amends to ourselves. So that's why I chose that song. My wife said to me once, she said, we're going to realize that the greatest discovery of the 20th century is that it is possible to change ourselves. Yes. Yes. But unfortunately change is only for those who want it, not for those who need it. I know. (laughs) Yeah. We don't come in on a high note. We don't come in because life is wonderful. We come in because we're in pain. Right. And I really compare Al-Anon to learning a new language. And I I feel like it's my version of Italian, you know, and I have (laughs) to really study it and learn. Oh, my goodness. This is how you conjugate the verb. And this is how you, you know, speak. And that's why going to the meetings are so important, because you really get a flavor of the culture and how people live and how we can choose to be healthy and break the cycle. So I'm so grateful for Al-Anon. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.